Hi, and welcome to the Expansive Business Podcast. Today, we are talking all about the art of recalibration. But before we do that, John, how are you doing, brother? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Great to be on the pod again with you. It's Sunday morning. We have already been chatting for an hour off air. Always enjoy connecting and unpacking and recalibrating our thoughts, our ideas, and concepts that we're seeing out there from the world, and then bringing them to this pod to try and share them to also curate them and put them into a nutshell that get us to understand them better and to share them with everybody listening. Good morning and good afternoon, everybody. Great for you to be joining us on this pod again. And uh, we're looking forward to this week's episode. Um, Listen, so just before we uh, jump into this, uh, you are kind of unwinding for the year. Yes, I have uh, 10 days left uh, in Dubai and then I'm off to Mexico and Costa Rica for a month. Let me just say that again because it sounds dreamy. <laughs> Mexico and Costa Rica. To the, to, I'm going to Tulum for two days to go and meet a good friend of mine or a new good friend of mine called Frederick Zane, who's a South African who's living in Tulum. He makes these fedora hats that all the cool people in the world are wearing. And uh, he's taking me clothes shopping because I don't know, Eric, have you seen the clothes from Tulum? The clothes are super stylish. I would have absolutely no idea what Tulum clothing looks like. It, it sounds to me like maybe it's some sort of like, yeah. I'm here to educate you. I'm here to educate you. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, my, that's my task here on the podcast. Uh, is, it's called Boho Chic. So it's almost like this uh, quite islandy kind of vibes, but it's got this sort of like, I suppose like the designer element to it. Um, so well tailored, but quite flowy, quite islandy. Um, fedora hats, these fedora hats, like sort of like flat cowboy hats that people mm. are wearing. Um, super stylish, super, super chilled clothing. So yeah, I, I was there in Tulum in June and I saw some shops. I just didn't, I didn't know which ones to go to or what to buy. And then I was speaking about fedora hats to a friend of mine and then this guy starts following me and I look at his Instagram and his name's Frederick Zane. And where does he live? He lives in Tulum. And what does he do? He makes these hats. And where is he from? Cape Town. I'm like, hang on a second. Oh, wow. What are the chances of this? So I message him and he's like, hey, John, uh, we know. I was like, hey, Greg, thanks so much for following me. And he's like, yeah, we love your work. My wife and I follow your work. And I was like, oh, awesome. I was like, look, I want to come to Tulum. Can you help me go shopping and stuff? He's like, I know every designer in Tulum. These are the hotels you should stay at just around the corner from me. So Tulum for two days, Dr. Joe Dispenza in Cancun for seven days, and then to Costa Rica with Dr. Joe Dispenza again for another seven days, and then two weeks with my friend Sean um, doing whitewater rafting, jungle, uh, hiking, volcano viewing. There's Mm. a whole bunch of adventures that we've booked on for Costa Rica. So that is my December, and I have 10 days countdown that is starting towards that. How much much work do you have left until then? I've got a couple gigs uh, here. Um, Also prepping for 2023. I have some expansive uh, intentions, goals and plans uh, with a lot of possibilities in my sort of timelines that I'm putting in. And uh, yeah, so a bit of work just to wind down. How about you? How about you? Yeah, good. Same, same kind of thing. I think I'll probably be done kind of by the 4th or the 5th of December. Then um, unwinding, rest of the year will be spent slowly writing the leadership manual that should be coming out in, in 2023. Uh, so that'll be my third edition of the leadership manual. Super excited for it. And actually the topic that we're speaking about today, the art of recalibration, was the topic of this year's uh, manual as well. But it's kind of funny because when I wrote it at the start of the year, you know, it, it was a it was an important theme, 
but it's almost like now today it's like the more imp- it's like a, a more important thing than what it was at, at the start of the year for me. I actually want to like just take that manual and republish it for 2023 because I think recalibration is the skill. Absolutely, I agree, and I don't think it will stop being the skill. I, I mean, I call it AQ. You call it recalibration. It's the same thing, adaptability. But is your job not? I mean, the fact that you were early to give people the insight of what's coming is really your skill. What would you say the next, maybe you don't know yet, but what would be the next thing? Because like, what, what's after recalibration? Um, I've just received Jeremy Rifkin's new book. Uh, I ordered it on Amazon. He's just released it called The Age of Resilience. Mm. And he, he came out with the third industrial revolution. And, and uh, you know, he's a global economist. I speak about quite often. He's got a couple of books, one called The Zero Marginal Cost Society. Um, so he's calling it the age of resilience that we're moving into. Mm. Do, do you have any idea what uh, the next thing is going to be called? The, the overarching theme for me next year is uh, the year of intentionality. Because I just think that that's what everyone comes to me all the time. You know, is that whatever you, whenever you want to change anything, it's like the, the underlying um, motivation for you is that you want to be more intentional. And if we come back to recalibration, which we'll unpack in a moment, it's kind of the same thing. Is that you realize that you've been drifting or that you are operating in chaos and disorder and you say, I want to be more intentional again. Meaning, I want to be more focused. I want my actions to be deliberate so it can get me somewhere else, to get me to a specific destination. And with what's been happening over the past two years, it's kind of like you've been thrown around from the left to the right, up and down. You don't know where you are, uh, you know, hybrid work, remote work. Um, how do I do hybrid work? How do I do remote work? How do I lead when I can't see my people? Like all these things have just been, um, it's been tumultuous. It's been like, it's almost like the wires in your brain has been crossed because you're not sure which direction to go. And so I think next year, we've seen a bit of settling this year. Next year, maybe, I think we have the opportunity to say, now let me be a little bit more intentional. Now that I've come out of the chaos to some extent, let me be more intentional with how I'm going to structure things. Knowing that the chaos isn't subsiding, I'm not saying that it's like that we're out of it you know, completely, but I do think there's a, um, a moment where we can say, you know, exactly what will my actions look like and what will my thinking look like instead of just reacting to everything that's been happening around you all the time. I love, I love how in sync we are because this morning I was journaling and I was commenting to myself how proud I was of the fact that I've been able to bring in my energy and focus and really hone it in to what it is that I want to create. Mm. And just off there, I was telling you a bunch of different things that I've started to practice and implement in my life. And all of it comes down to harnessing my energy. That's it. It's like, what are the leaks, the addictions, the bad eating, the bad friendships, the bad conversations, all of that out. It's almost like a zero tolerance towards those things. And then you start to move into harnessing your energy and then really start to fine tune what you're focusing in on and only do that. And I think Dubai has been such a fantastic place for me for that because I don't know many people. And so what happens is that your focus becomes so focused in on what you're trying to achieve and, and, and it becomes easier. Whereas I think in Cape Town or wherever else I lived, I've become lazy with my energy in many ways. And this has become a, such a, it's, it's almost like a, it's a, it's a boost 
in that space. So I love what mm. you're saying, because I think the art of recalibration is recalibrating to the world around us, but also recalibrating ourselves to harness our energies to deal with chaos and uncertainty. And you said one thing that I want to just touch on. You said we, we've come to a moment where we, things have settled. And I think when it comes to work, yes, certain things have settled. And mm. the hybrid idea of whether we should be working from home or not, and all those sort of things have settled. But on the other end of it, the chaos is only ramping up on the outside of your structures of organization. And if you think about FTX and you, and you think about China and Taiwan, you think about Russia and you think about the chaos that's going on with Italy wanting to leave EU and you think about just like so much chaos that's going on in the world. Uh, so it's of vital importance that we recalibrate our energy and recalibrate the way we approach things and harness our energy so that we are not tapped from left to right. And when all this chaos is going on out there, we centered and to be able to deal with it. And last piece is the number one focus that we can all have is elevating our energy so that we can deal with this level of uncertainty. Mm. Because like you said, it's not going to calm down. It's only going to be speeding up. And so to be able to center yourself in this chaos, you are going to be the winner of all winners when you're able to do this. And, and that's exactly why recalibration um, adaptability becomes the most important thing because it's this ongoing process of you adapting to, to the world around you and to your own um, let me backtrack. So like when I, when I talk about this in, um, in my talk, the two things I say just at the onset is like, I think why it's important is number one, we've just spoken about this world around you that's changing, uh, faster and faster and faster. And so you need to be faster. And I think I've told the story about Alice in Wonderland. Do you remember that? So, um, there's this one scene in, in Alice in Wonderland where the red queen takes Alice by the hand and they start sprinting through Wonderland. And then at some point they come to a stop and Alice looks around her and she says, you know, I, I believe we've been here in this ex like exact spot the entire time. Nothing's changed. And the Red Queen says to her, well, like, of course, how else would you have it? And Alice says, well, typically in my country, if you run very fast for a very long time, then you'd get somewhere else. And the Red Queen says to her, well, that's a slow sort of country because here you see it takes all the running you can do just to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you have to run twice as fast. And so it's this, just this idea that we often feel like we are running as fast as we can, but we're not getting anywhere. And especially if you look at the world and the changes around us, that um, you're trying to learn new skills, you're trying to adapt, you're trying to change, but like it, it feels like you're still, not, you're still not caught up, right? And we might have to get used to that kind of a feeling. But then at the same time, what it also says to you is that if you're not course correcting often enough, as you see the changes happening around you, then you are going to become part of what Yuval Noarari calls the useless class. And we've spoken about this before on the podcast as well. So the useless class are these, this group of people that didn't recalibrate fast enough. They didn't course correct fast enough. And so they ended up in a sort of no man's land where they don't have enough skill to add value to the society that they find themselves in. So that's one reason. We've spoken about that extensively on the podcast. The second reason you've actually touched on as well now is that the, the importance of us recalibrating is that it's through this process that we close the gap between our current performance and the potential that we have between who we are and who we could be and where we are and where we could be. It's only through, through recalibration that we get to do that. But the tough thing to realize is that recalibration is an action. It's not just something that we think about. It's something that we do. And if it's something that we do, actually what it relates to is this idea of deliberate practice. 
So I go to the golf course all the time. I'm an am- avid golfer that plays golf once a month. You amateur, amateur avid uh, golfer. Uh, uh, no, you misheard. I said avid. <laughs> av- <laughs> <laughs> look, it was it a very impressive photo you put on Instagram? I mean, if it was just by the photo, you look pro, bro. Athletic pro. is like built Athletic. like a. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah great angle. Pro in Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, pro in Instagram. <laughs> um, but the same thing always happens. You know, I go to the course, I play like a, a 90, 92. I come off, I go, oh, I could have played 85. Like it, it was so easy. Like my potential is there. I can see it. I can, I can hit all those shots. But somehow I come off and I, I know I could have been better. And then a month goes by, I get back onto the course, I shoot to 90 or 92 again, and the same frustration occurs. Like, I know I could be so much better. But if you're looking from the outside, it's so obvious why I'm not getting better. And it's that I'm not engaging in any practice in between, any deliberate practice. And deliberate practice was uh, actually, uh, kind of the term was, was coined by Anders Ericsson, who talks a lot about peak performance, and then popularized by Malcolm Gladwell and the 10,000-hour rule. And people often think that 10,000 hours, like when they hear this rule, is about just putting in the work for 10,000 hours, but it's not. It's about being very deliberate in your practice. And so that's a, a big runaway about way of saying that when we engage in the art of recalibration, it is something that we do extremely intentionally that requires a lot of effort and a lot of focus. And you're not going to do it simply by thinking about it or hoping that it gets done. It's, um, it's a process that you need to go through. And it's been one of the biggest learnings for me from this year, which is that I go to, to company offsites. And I mean, this year has been a good year for me for that. And I've been wondering why does what we do at the offsite on the Friday not change into Monday's to-do list? Why does Friday's hype not turn into Monday's execution? And I've come to realize that what's happening is when we are at the offsite, we are evaluating people's willingness to change. And when we're at the offsite, everyone is willing to change. You know, we're all sitting there, we're talking about the future and how it should be different and how we want to do you know, new behaviors and whatever. And everyone's willing to do it because we're away from the office, like we can you know, think about what we need to do on Monday, but we're not doing it. And then we get back to the office on Monday and there are fires burning, people that need your attention, um, new tasks that pop up. And all of a sudden, everything we spoke about on the Friday goes out the door. And so what I've realized is that what we need to do is that instead of focusing on people's willingness to change or evaluating their willingness to change, we need to evaluate their willingness to be inconvenienced. Because that's what it takes on Monday. That when you walk into the office on Monday, for you to recalibrate, to do things in a new way, to think in a new way, requires you to be inconvenienced in the moment, to break the old habits, to break the old routines and the old, the old patterns. And so recalibration, and this is where I, I kind of start all my talk, is that recalibration is going to require you to be inconvenienced. Because to carry on on autopilot with where you are heading, wherever you are drifting towards, that's the easy part. For you to actually bring yourself back into alignment is going to require effort and inconvenience. Thoughts? Well, a great, great uh, starting point. I've got a couple of comments. Um, the first one is I find that often what we do is we expect the results of what we have workshopped or thought about or intended far too quickly. And I think that when you start getting into the process of 
following a process or developing a new set of habits, the focus should be on those habits. The, the problem comes in is that we are focused on the outcome while uh, trying to shortcut the habits and the behavior change. And it's Dr. Joe often says is when you start to meditate quite heavily, it stops becoming about the results of your meditation and starts becoming much more about the process. And the process starts becoming very intriguing. And it's in the process that by following, you lift your head up three months later and the results happen automatically because it, the process and the system itself has been able to get you to where you want to go. And I think if we use the word inconvenience, I think it's a good reminder of the commitment you need to make. But I also think that sometimes it could be a de-energizing word. Because if I go into my Monday going, okay, I'm, okay, I'm ready to be inconvenienced. Yes, okay. I, I get that it's important to know that it's okay and expect it to be inconvenienced. But I also think that we need to think about saying, well, look, here's the end result of what we're looking for. But let's bank that and let's put it away. What are the four habits that we need to create on a Monday that will ultimately get us closer to achieving that so that, you know, let me just focus on the habits. And this is, again, the, the thing that I learned from you many, 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 many years ago, the power of accretion. And again, we spoke about this off air is that even in our own careers, you know, are we where we want to be? And, and most probably the answer is always no. Doesn't matter how big the gig was, doesn't matter how big the contract was, it, the end result is not where we wanted to be because we're ambitious and we wanted to keep growing, like every team and every organization has that. But what do we come back down to? What do we have power over is our daily accretion habits. It's our daily focus. And you know, the little little job that you do here, the little interview you do there, the small, the small action that you take here to write your third leadership manual for example you know having a bank coming on to sponsor you not just a bank one of the most exclusive banks in south africa this is a point of accretion over a period of time and i think that when we think about the art of recalibration the pressure we put ourselves under to be where we want to be immediately with the process of perfection is the real problem that we have in not achieving it and losing focus and becoming unmotivated so I think let's, let's also let's rethink maybe the language of, yes, it's inconvenient, but let's just focus on the habit and make those three habits what you have to tick for the day and then release yourself of other pressure. Because if you don't release yourself of other pressure, you're never arriving, you're always upset, you should have been better. And you and I have these chats in our, in our friendship because you're like, ah, I need to be further, I need to be more and more, I need to be bigger stages, I need to be, my book needs to be a New York Times bestseller. It's like, what happens when we have those conversations? We're upset, <laughs> we're not happy. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. But then you talk about your third leadership manual coming out and I've just told you about my first piece of my new book coming out. I'm excited, that excites me because those are the small pieces of habits and accretion that we're going through. So those are my thoughts, uh, but I'm keen to hear more. Yeah, I love it, I love it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you around the, the patience component of that, you know, because it is so quick that we, well, it, we do want to see the results quickly. We do want to do the workshop on Friday and then have everything changed by, by Monday. And of course, we know it doesn't work like that. Um, I'll tell you why I think the, the inconvenience part for me is important because there's a sacrifice that has to happen for you to, to do something new. And that sacrifice isn't easy. And I think often we think it's going to be easy. That's why I actually ended up going with inconvenience because 
when we're sitting in that workshop, we think it's going to be easy. That's why we are talking about all these new behaviors in such a casual way. And we think, oh, it's going to be like, like, we'll get this right. Like, you know, and then it doesn't happen. And why doesn't it happen? Because you, you want to pay attention to the things that are top of mind for you, you know, and like the things that you feel are most important. But the only way you get to change your habit is that you have to take a break from the things that you feel are most important right now to focus on what's going to be important to you in the future. And that, that creates a feeling of... Retention. Of dissonance almost, you know? Yes, yeah, yeah. So I want you to expect that. That's, that's kind of what, why I want that language. That's why I said I think as an initial word, it's great. Yes. But I also don't want to be continuously thinking of it as an inconvenience. I want to eventually think of it as this is the habit that takes me to the behavior of who I want to be. And one of the ones that I've been practicing is no sugar. You know, three months, no sugar. Initially, I thought it would be an inconvenience, but because I'd made that decision of I'm tired of the war inside my head of me not being in the shape that I want to be in, that became a priority. So every time I even hesitated to think about sugar, I was like, do you want to go back into that war with yourself? And the answer was, that becomes my biggest inconvenience now. That war is my inconvenience. Me not eating sugar is actually a pleasure because I switched in my head which was the inconvenience. Mm. You understand? You, you know, I, I, I'm totally with you. Um, what I come back to over and over again is that change is really, really hard. And some people have, you know, maybe because of the work that we do and, the, you know, we are constantly researching this kind of thing, you are able to reframe things like that for yourself pretty easily, you know? And, and, it, and it's because you are always engaged in the work. But if you think of someone who typically... You know, they engaged in their work, which is to go to the office, you know, uh, fulfill the function that they're in. They don't think about change all the time. They don't reframe change for themselves. Um, and then I came across a study a while ago where they, uh, they looked at at-risk heart patients. And they, they told them, you know, um, you need to change because if you don't, you're at risk of getting a heart attack in the very near future. They gave them all the clarity they needed. So they identified the risk. They told them what to do, how to do it. There was no ambiguity in regards to how they needed to change. Out of this, the, the patients, you know, across the, the entire study, they found that one in seven patients would change. One in seven. And this is people who had all the urgency in the world. They had all the clarity they needed. And they had every reason to change. And only one in seven changed. And I keep thinking, you know, like if, if it's that difficult to get people to change when everything is on the line, how difficult is it for them to change when it seemingly small stuff is on the line? You know, my work is more important. What would you say that is? Because it, that boggles my mind. It's like your life and death is at stake here and you're not changing. But not now. Not now. It doesn't feel like it's there now. You know, because now I'm still healthy-ish. Now, like, I still have my job. Now, my skills are still required. So it doesn't feel like I need to change now. That's such a lazy way of living life because it means I'm more addicted to who I was than focused on who I need to become. Yes. And, like, yeah, yeah. what a life of wasting. You know, I had this, you know, I, I made that video uh, and put it on TikTok, uh, the problem with quiet quitting. Did I get lambasted on TikTok? I mean, the people are horrible on TikTok, eh? really horrible. Yeah. But everybody was just triggered by me saying, why would you want to be in a job that you have to escape from in order 
to not give them as much of your energy as possible because mm-hmm. they are not paying you as much as possible. So what you're doing is you're playing the victim in a situation and then blaming the system and then trying to escape the system. Dude, get out the system. Like, then why would you want to be in a system where you have to do quiet quitting? Like, mm. what a ridiculous notion. But people hated it. Mm. Hated me mm. for saying that. And so, anyway, let's, let's get going with accretion because I want to hear what, uh, what, what people keep rebooking you for in this. Well, well I, just, I think maybe just for us to run out the, the episode, um, let me just quickly go through the process of recalibration. The, the process that we all have to go through continuously. And the one thing to keep in mind is that the reason why I think it's such an important skill is that you are always going to drift. That drift is always going to be present. So again, it's like, I want you to, in a way, make peace with the fact that the drift is going to occur. So when I talk about this, um, I always talk about the one in 60 degree rule that says, so it's a thing from aviation. And it says that whenever a plane like uh, takes off from a landing strip, it always has a destination in mind. That's quite obvious. But if that plane deviates from that course that it's set by even one degree, then by the time it's traveled 60 miles, it's an entire mile away from where it's supposed to be. So, and that's one degree. So like the, the principle here is that even the smallest drift, the smallest bit of deviation from the course, if you don't course correct over time, you're going to be very far away from where you want to be. And so what this tells us is that there are three different components to recalibration. The first thing is that we need to have a very clear destination where we're going to. If you don't have that, you don't have anything to recalibrate against. Then you're just drifting. The second thing is that there's always going to be drift. And that drift is going to be caused either by the environment. So you are perfectly on track and then, you know, technology comes in or AI or a new competitor or war or recession, whatever. And that changes things. And all of a sudden you have to recalibrate. Um, the fortunate thing is that those things are usually quite big, so you can see them coming. The question is just, will you recalibrate in those instances? And the second thing is that we drift. We become bored, we become lazy, we become distracted, we have shiny object syndrome. And then because of that, we slowly start losing track or focus on the things that really matter to us. And then we are drifting. And I've seen this over and over, that when you kind of drift and you are in survival mode, you don't even notice it. You feel like you are still on track, but you are drifting. And so what you need is, from an environmental point of view, is you need situational awareness. And what you need from an internal point of view is self-awareness. Self-awareness to know that you're then drifting. And then the third part of that is then, so, so number one is destination. Number two is the drift. Number three is then the process of recalibration, which is then saying, okay, I've realized I've drifted. This is still my destination. How do I align myself back through my actions and through my thoughts to be back to on track to where I want to go? And what people always think when when I engage with them is that I'm going to give them the answers to number three, is like, what do you need to do? But actually my job, and I think your job as well, is to help people realize number one and two, is to help them have clarity on the destination and where they want to go and what's important to them, and then to also have the awareness of how far you've drifted away from that. And then the recalibration part very often people have the answer to that already. They know what to do. They're just not doing it. They have this massive gap between knowledge and action. And then other times, by having the prompt, by knowing you know, what drift has occurred, they can figure out, because they are domain experts in what they do, they can figure out how they need to recalibrate. So it's very seldom that I need to tell people how to recalibrate, unless it's an emotional thing or like from a mental model point of view, but like the real actions is really up to you. And I'll give you a very quick example here. So 
Um, I was training for a while, very, very religiously. I was eating very well. So I had this destination of wanting to lose X amount of weight before December. Then I had this traveling that occurred to Joburg back and forth. In the process, I got sick. And the moment you get sick, you know, you often like put your eating to the side. You want comfort food. Um, I stopped training because obviously I couldn't train at that stage. And I realized just like recently that I've been drifting and drifting and drifting. I didn't catch myself that I completely fallen off the bandwagon. I initially realized it, and then I just maintained the drift. And for me to recalibrate and get back on track, I don't need a dietitian or personal trainer. I don't need someone to tell me what to eat or how to train. I know those things. It's more a case of me being able to catch myself in the drift and then to have the commitment and the intention to recalibrate. And so that's a three-step process that I think it's, it's been amazing to run this with organizations this year because we can fill in for X, like the destination, in many different ways. You can go through it and like put your goals into that or you know health, partners, lifestyle, money goals, whatever. You can put that into X and you can ask yourself, to what extent have I drifted? Um, but then what I've done very often is I'll put X into it for them. You know, So I'll say, let's use intention or being dangerous as X and then let's see how you've drifted in terms of that being the coordinate, that being the destination. Um, and it's always incredible, the insights that come out of it. But the number one thing is to realize that everyone drifts all the time. I've not sat in one session where everyone is like, or someone is like, oh, no, there's no drift in my life. Like, I'm perfectly aligned in every single aspect of everything that I do. doesn't happen. We all drift. And so the art of recalibration is recalibrating early enough so it doesn't go too far off track. Keep recalibrating. Very good. I like that. Couple of comments. Uh, the first one, mm. the example that you have that if you leave uh, an airport and you're one degree off your destination, that within what sixty minutes you're off in a mile or something like that. You sixty, 60 miles. miles. Yeah, 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 sixty miles. Mm. Uh, but also, if you look at it in the other way, that's also great because what that says is that if you just change something small, you also arrive at a very new version of yourself in a positive way. You know what I mean? So just me not having sugar, I keep coming back to it because it's the most obvious one in my life right now. Um, I've got a different body. I've got different information. I've different sleeping. Just that one little thing has changed my degree. Yeah. Okay. The second thing that I want to comment on. Can, can I quickly just add on to that? Um, I love that you caught that. There's this, um, you know, when you watch time traveling movies, they, they always like, you know, if you're going back in time, they have this like one rule that they always tell you about. And is that, like, if you go back in time, don't change anything. Like, don't step on a bug. Don't, like, do anything because the, what, like, the flapping of the butterfly's wings will cause a tornado somewhere else in the world. And if you reverse that, it's the same thing. Is that if you are now living in the past of your future, changing one thing today, something small, is going to change something very big down the line. Yes, love it. What is, I read cool. something the other day, it says your future self is living through its memories with your actions today. So choose carefully. Mm. Mm. Uh, so you are the memories of your future self. So make your future self proud because, you know, that's the key there. But also the second thing I think also really important is people often aren't able to change because they haven't changed who they are. And again, this comes down to Dr. Joe's work around your personality is created by the way you think, act, and feel. And if every morning you think, act, and feel in the same way, it's very difficult to want to change your personal reality because your personality hasn't changed. And what I've found is that mm. the process of meditation 
allows me to rehearse who I want to be for 30 minutes before my day starts. And every morning, if I'm starting off with recalibrating who I want to be in a theta and alpha brainwave, when I come back into my beta brainwave, I've got a reminder, an anchor point, and a new way to see myself so that the habit, the behavior is a much easier to implement. And I think what happens to most people is they wake up and straight into WhatsApps and emails and the kids and work, and you've never taken the time out to recalibrate the behavior in your emotional state to remind your body of who it is that you want to be working towards. And so, yes, catch yourself drifting. Yes, have self-awareness. But what about rehearsing a new way of approaching yourself, your business, how you want to show up in the world so that your anchor points are much clearer and you have a reminder throughout the day of the anchor points that you've been rehearsing to actually wanting to recalibrate. Mm. So I think it's a mix, you know, I mm. think it's, a, it's an elevation of your consciousness that's required to help you stay on track of your recalibration intention. Yeah, I love that. I have nothing else to add to that. Um, I hope that everyone listening to this has enjoyed it. And I think it's a very timely podcast for this time of the year. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it's a topic that you should actually be sitting with every single day, as you just mentioned, uh, creating those anchor points, recalibrating as you go through your day, because it's recalibrating to the big things, but it's also recalibrating to the small things and knowing that that recalibration is um, aligning to you to where you want to go. But also, if you want to choose a new destination, it's just one degree away, and that's uh, it's super exciting. And we, you, know, you spoke about accretion, and once you start adding up all those one degrees, they become quite significant down the line. So awesome. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, brother. Thank you very much. And that's all for the pod this week. We'll see you again next week. Ciao.